Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and hopefully your favorite YouTube pundit with a law degree and an economics degree, or at least in your top three of favorites in YouTube punditry. Of course, I'm jokingly using that phrase today because we're here to talk about an article from Jason Schreier of Bloomberg, formerly of Kotaku, who pretty famously is not a big fan of what we do here. That's okay, Jason. You don't need to be because what we do here doesn't depend on others' approval. That being said, let's take a look at what is a major article today from Jason Schreier at Bloomberg, and we have to give credit where it's due. This is some pretty big news that he's breaking today. In Bloomberg, U.S. edition, technology and equality, which is not a headline kind of topic item I have seen before, Rockstar Games cleaned up its frat boy culture and Grand Theft Auto 2. With a new tone at the company and a change in creative direction, GTA 6 will probably feel very different from its predecessor. Now, of course, this Bloomberg article is paywalled. You can subscribe to that. We're going to be taking quotes out of it to give commentary on what we have seen broken as news today. We can also take a look at other places that have done that, including Jason Schreier's former stomping grounds at Kotaku. These articles will be linked in the description as they are, but we can have a conversation about them looking specifically at some of the things that are established in this article. First, we're going to start out with the description given to Grand Theft Auto V in the Bloomberg article, and then we're going to proceed through topics that I plucked out of what Jason Schreier has reported today. This isn't in order that they appear in the article. They're instead kind of organized by theme. So if you're looking at the article, don't expect them to be in that order. But I thought this was a more useful way of handling things. So as I said, we're going to be looking at first what they describe Grand Theft Auto V to be, because I think that's an important part of this story. What we're going to hear described in this article is a Grand Theft Auto VI and a Rockstar Games as a developer that appears to be meandering in the wilderness, a little bit lost as to what to do, how to make a game in the current environment, and what that game should be, which is important because Grand Theft Auto V is one of the most successful games in the industry's history. And as Bloomberg and Jason Schreier describe it here, it was a nihilistic parody that threw insults at everything from right-wing radio hosts to liberal politicians. Now, your mileage may vary as to how successful that nihilism or that parodying is. I will give my full tilt and biases here, which is to say... I don't think Grand Theft Auto 6 or Rockstar in general are very good writers in terms of this kind of satire or parody. I think what is presented in Grand Theft Auto 5 and to some extent in prior Grand Theft Autos and also to some extent in their Red Dead series is very superficial. It is the, hey, look at that. Those people sell guns. Those people say speeches in front of American flags. Isn't that funny? Look at the hypocrisy and all the various things that maybe were super, super funny when you were in, say, seventh grade and your buddy put these kinds of concepts in a notebook of his, but maybe aren't worth all of the plaudits and kudos and general aggrandizement that we see for this particular series. That's my tilt. You might already be drafting up an angry comment to give me that says, Rick, this is cutting and biting and scathing and fantastic stuff that they put in Grand Theft Auto V. And that's your prerogative. When we talk about parody and humor in general, a lot of that is ultra subjective, but it's never really worked for me. So in terms of tilt, when you've got an article in Bloomberg that says, hey, we're changing things up, 
ideally that would be towards me. That would be something that says, hey, Rick, we know that you didn't love the way we're, we were doing our humor before, so you should be happier with it now. And I don't get that impression from this article at all. But I digress. They comment then on how successful this game has been. That strategy, nihilistic parody, having a workplace culture that mirrored that fact, was financially successful and turned Grand Theft Auto V into the second best-selling game of all time, with 165 million copies sold. It's remarkable how often you can look at the top 10 sales in video games and see Grand Theft Auto V sitting there. For the curious, by the way, the best-selling game of all time is Minecraft, And that's for specific definitions of best-selling, of course. Minecraft, generally selling at a lower price than Grand Theft Auto V, hasn't had all the re-releases that Grand Theft Auto V has had. And so in terms of revenue, I would be willing to bet that Grand Theft Auto V is actually the most successful property in existence. But I'm not sitting here reading through the Minecraft or Microsoft financials, so I can't promise you that. On unit sold basis, Minecraft has sold more than 200 million units, so it is the most highest selling game of all time. Who's made the most money? Wouldn't surprise me if it was in fact Rockstar and Grand Theft Auto V. Now, Jason Schreier here then makes an important point. Says, hey, yes, it was a nihilistic parody. It was a huge selling game. Chances are, if you are a gamer, you have played Grand Theft Auto V in some form or function, but it also led to burnout, attrition, and a public controversy in 2018. This is an interesting bit of rhetoric in an article like this one, right? And we talk a lot about headlines. We talk a lot about the art of writing messaging and otherwise communicating with audiences. If you didn't know who wrote this, you didn't know where it was from, and you didn't know what the context was, would you assume from this last sentence that this author had absolutely anything to do with that public controversy in 2018? I don't think I would. In fact, I'm willing to say I certainly wouldn't. And yet... If we actually look at where that public controversy stemmed from, it was, in fact, from Mr. Jason Schreier, the author of this piece. So that puts a certain patina, a certain smell on an article like this one that says, oh, okay, we're now talking about a change in direction, a change in structure at one of the biggest companies in this industry that in some important respect, you feel that you drove, right? You put out an article in Kotaku in 2018 that was picked up in Games Industry Biz and picked up in everywhere else that you might imagine, talking about the crunch culture of Rockstar, and now you are using that as your entry point to explain the changes that Rockstar made. In your thesis, I would argue, this article is about how you changed the culture of Rockstar and not how it just changed in of itself. That will become a more interesting point as we go through more of the quotes in this article when we get to the place where Jason Schreier turns on Rockstar and basically implies that the changes that they made are what is holding this game back and otherwise making things more difficult to produce games. Understand, if you change your game company to go and try and make the Jason Schreiers of the world happy, not only will they not necessarily buy your product, they might also just complain about what you decided to do in any event in their major masthead-led outlet. So keep that in mind. We'll probably come back to that as part of this story. But I think in terms of rhetoric and position and agency, and some folks use the term activism. I'm not willing to ascribe that to Jason Schreier in this capacity, but certainly wanting to be a part of the story and move the major players and pieces around. Jason Schreier is one of those folks, and he reports on that in a relatively neutral stance here to open his article. 
And I don't know that that's necessarily warranted. But I digress again. Let's continue. Rockstar has now attempted to reinvent itself as a more progressive and compassionate workplace, according to interviews with more than 20 people who worked there or left recently, all of whom requested anonymity. So we've been in virtual legality for a while together, folks. You know, if we've got only anonymous sources and we've got anonymous sources talking specifically about workplace issues that we can't for ourselves weigh critically what kind of tilt these people have. It's a problem with Jason Schreier's and other investigative journalists reporting. Uh, And while I think he presents interesting information here, it is clear that in every instance of any major company operating, you'll always be able to find people that love it. And you'll also be able to find people that are complaining about what's happening. It's the major weakness in this kind of anonymous investigative reporting of the companies in the game industry. And unfortunately, because Mr. Schreier is the only one really engaging in this kind of activity, this kind of systemic problem with his reporting appears in everything he writes. It's why it's systemic. So we have to take it with a grain of salt, but we can get important information, especially out of the specifics of what the Grand Theft Auto 6 project is supposed to be. But it's all anonymous sources, many of whom one would assume aren't even there. They left recently. We're left to Jason Schreier's good judgment as to what recently means and whether or not they can opine as to these particular facts. So now he's going to start and talk about what Rockstar has done. And this is actually the opening anecdote in his article. Like I said, I put this out of order for thematic purposes. They had a mode in Grand Theft Auto V, it's gonna be called Cops and Crooks. When the George Floyd situation happened, they decided to shelve that. Says this is one of the several politically sensitive actions Rockstar has taken in recent years. They also removed transphobic jokes from the most recent console release of Grand Theft Auto V. They edited their older product because they no longer stood by the jokes that they had made. That's interesting in and of itself. We'll probably do a Hangouts and Headlines pretty soon about whether or not things should be edited ex post facto, especially to reflect the current political mores. Stay tuned for that. And significantly narrowed its gender pay gap. Now, what's interesting about that to me as a lawyer is that an actual gender pay gap, something that is discriminatory, is, of course, illegal. We don't get any reference to that here. So there is an open question as to what that means in this context. We don't have a lot to actually rely on. We just have it as a throwaway line in a Bloomberg article. Still important, still what they're setting up as Rockstar is changing its stripes. None, this article says, has done as much in response to a worker revolt from 2018. Again, this author claiming ownership of what the impetus behind that was as Rockstar, according to people across the company, of course, anonymously sourced. But, and herein lies the rub. This is presented in Bloomberg. This is presented to investors, people who are thinking about what money they should be investing in Rockstar, more specifically as parent company of Take-Two. Can a kinder, gentler Rockstar still produce the chart-topping caliber of game the studio has become known for? One would hope, in a perfect happy ending kind of scenario, the answer to this question will be, of course, we can treat people better, we can get rid of whatever the nooks and crannies of our product line was, and we can deliver things that are just as popular as they were before. Instead, the article already shows the direction it's going to take on describing what's happening at Rockstar. Some employees aren't sure. The development of Grand Theft Auto 6 has been slower than impatient fans and even longtime employees have expected. Therein lies the rub. We're going to get into it now. Rockstar has changed a lot of the way it operates, and this article will primarily be about questions that have been raised about whether or not this company has an identity or whether its products do as well. 
Now, he does say much of that has to do with the pandemic. Of course, we've seen delays out of 2022. We've seen delays across the board in the games industry. Every single gaming company, it would seem, has had significant delays from the pandemic, especially those that were experiencing significant development time during those years that the lockdowns hit the hardest. But the delay is also due to some of the changes that the company implemented in an effort to improve working conditions, such as a restructuring of the design department and a pledge to keep overtime under control. Now, certainly, pledge to keep overtime under control is fantastic as long as you don't want to be working that overtime, you don't want to have to work that overtime. Different people have different opinions on whether or not they want to try to go get overtime hours, especially if they're hourly and not salaried. Again, I digress. What's important here is that you are again starting to see a rock star that changed its stripes from an action in 2018 that was effectively started by this particular author, treated very neutrally in this particular outlet. And what? Where does Grand Theft Auto 6 because of that? Some workers say they're still trying to figure out how to make games at this new iteration of Rockstar and wonder even what a Grand Theft Auto game looks like in today's environment. He's getting quotes that say they're figuring out how to make games. If you're an investor, if you're somebody interested in putting money into these companies, this is not what you want to hear. This is not what you want to see. The company that made Grand Theft Auto 5 would appear to be no more for reasons that you might disagree with. Maybe it wasn't 2018. Maybe it was something else. You obviously had a lot of the brain trust at Rockstar leave at the same time, but this article supposes that it's 2018 and a change to a more quote-unquote compassionate Rockstar that has led to quotes coming from anonymous employees that say, we're figuring out how to make games and what a game looks like today. You would hope if you're investing your dollars in this kind of product that they would know what made Grand Theft Auto V a success. So we get into Grand Theft Auto VI. Rockstar's next game, Grand Theft Auto VI, will include a playable female protagonist for the first time, according to people familiar with the game. The woman, who is Latina, will be one of a pair of leading characters in a story influenced by the bank robbers Bonnie and Clyde, the people said. So one does assume that the other protagonist uh, is male. And all of that sounds like it could be good. I am not a big fan, coming from a game editorial standpoint, of what Grand Theft Auto V does in terms of splitting its plot lines amongst multiple protagonists. But that was three. This sounds like it's two. That might alleviate some of my concerns, which is essentially a splintering of the story and the motivations and the characterizations and everything else. They got too thin of gruel to actually have a compelling storyline. So this might be better, but you also start to get the same kind of thing we saw in the rest of the article. They pulled back. Early designs called for the inclusion of territories modeled after large swaths of North and South America, but the company reeled in those ambitions and cut the main map down to a fictional version of Miami and its surrounding areas, which the article actually puts as a concept related to overtime, related to crunch. We wanted to be nicer to our people, and so we have pulled back on our ambitions. It does so in a very credulous manner. It basically just believes what they are saying on this. Rockstar's plan is now to continually update the game over time, adding new missions and cities on a regular basis, which the leadership hopes will lead to less crunch during the game's final months. Now, this is an interesting quote in of itself. Are we meant to believe, Mr. Schreier, that one of your anonymous sources is leadership? Or is this information coming from one of your anonymous sources who may or may not be working at the company right now telling you what leadership thinks? about these things. We're not in a court of law, obviously, but we're getting pretty close to like double hearsay on what's actually happening with respect to this company. And more importantly, in terms of your credulousness for an investigative reporter, 
you know the video game industry. Anybody that plays games can look at a quote like this and say, whoa, you had big plans. You've been working on this game forever. You cut those plans back and intend to add them to the game over time in an environment where microtransactions are a thing. And you don't think to frame this at all under the premise that this would be a revenue generating measure. And folks, I want game developers to have their best lives possible. I have a sibling in the game industry that has dealt with crunch and work-life balance issues and pay issues and everything else. I want them to get everything they want in terms of feeling good about what they are doing in their profession. And yet, I can't stand it when I see journalism that appears to just take on its face that whatever thing is happening that sounds like it might not be in the best interest of the consumer is does because we want to avoid developer crunch. We want to be more compassionate. We want to be a better employer. I'm sure that some of that is true. But so many times I have seen just reading critically about various things in the games industry that it is being used as a crutch and an excuse for what is bad project management, for what is mishandling of situations, or in this particular case, what appears to be a plan to monetize what was originally going to be sold to consumers in the first instance. Now, that's not even going into the fact that the big moneymaker related to Grand Theft Auto 5 is actually Grand Theft Auto Online, and one presumes that this Grand Theft Auto 6 project is being built with a Grand Theft Auto Online in mind so that they can sell you shark cards and they can make billions of dollars and they can move on without having to worry about building up a new area for another decade. And so I look at this and say, come on, man, we can talk about this on a more intelligent basis. You don't just have to take on faith that this kind of concept leads to less crunch is actually true. Developers talking now about the humor of the video game, and this presents another at least question mark in my mind, are also being cautious not to punch down by making jokes about marginalized groups, the people said, in contrast to previous games. Besides, several Rockstar employees pointed out that you can't really satirize today's America. It's already a satire of itself. This is bad, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't know what this game is going to turn out to be. Again, as I said, it's not like I loved the way that Rockstar Games wrote humor before. But when you start to isolate what's acceptable and not acceptable for comedy and you get a line that says, well, what could we possibly satirize because reality is satirical enough in itself, you're not speaking as if you have a strong vision for what you want your game or your tone to be. This is not a political question. This could be political comedy. This could be a political comedy. It could come from the left. It could come from the right. This is a simple notion that when you say things like this in this quote, when you're telling them anonymously to the Jason Shriers of the world, when you are concerned specifically, not with the comedy substance, making people laugh, even having a message as much as I think you don't deliver one in Grand Theft Auto 5, and you talk about this stuff, you are not selling me on a product that has a strong voice. And we saw some of this phraseology in videos and commentary for the latest Saints Row game. I think people are concerned that some of what was humorous about that series has been lost. I'm very interested to see what it is that they have done with that series. You've seen previews that call about student debt and influencers and various other things that at least strike me as maybe not being as compelling as prior entries. And if Grand Theft Auto goes that direction, it will be interesting. 
But when we talk about humor, when we talk about content, I think a lot of people react not on the political basis that the internet wants to put folks into in terms of tribes, but on the notion that these kinds of phrases suggest that they don't have a voice, they don't have a vision, they don't know what they're doing, they just know that they don't want to do what they did before, and that's no way to run a railroad. The game has been in development in some form since 2014. Although there are loose schedules in place, people interviewed for this article said they didn't know of any firm release date and that they expect the game to be at least two years away. Obviously disappointing from a gamer's perspective, but that's not really the point of why I'm raising this in the next section of quotes in this particular video. The question here is, is Rockstar compelled to release a game at all? right? You see here references to loose schedules for something that started eight years ago. They don't know of a firm release date. They don't know when a game will release. They don't appear to care in terms of what is presented in this article. And this will be reiterated upon in the language Jason Schreier uses and in the quotes he gets from employees. And again, if I'm an investor, if I want to look at how a company is operating, one of the questions I have is, are you looking to get a product out? It's fine to rest on your laurels somewhat. Grand Theft Auto Online, massively successful. We know that that has given them runway to have a longer development time for this game, but that doesn't appear to have been built into a bigger and better game, but just kind of wandering in the wilderness for a longer period of time. It's not going to be massive. It's not going to be multi-continent. It's going to be one city, much like Vice City, which of course gave its name in opposite to the thumbnail of this video. And it's not going to, at least by all appearances, be anything that looks like it took 10 years to create. It's simply going to be longer because of what they did with the company. Some employees said they found themselves waiting around to communicate through middlemen or that it felt like multiple people were in charge. This is all in reaction to a section in the article. And again, I highly recommend you read it. That is about how they tried to reorganize in order to give folks a better working environment. A director's position was filled by three other directors creating what several people described as a too-many-cooks situation, where design decisions are frequently left in flux or contradict one another. To help avoid overtime, Rockstar's hired more producers to keep track of schedules, a move that's mostly been positive. This is editorializing from Mr. Schreier. We don't actually get a quote on this, but one that has also caused bottlenecks. Yeah, it certainly sounds so. Some core aspects of the game, such as combat, are still going through changes, even as developers expected them to be locked down or we're still going through changes. We don't know if they've been locked down at this point in time. This is the story of a company without a head, right? Whether or not 2018 is the impetus there, it doesn't sound like it if they started on this project before then, but whether or not it's the impetus for what has happened since doesn't appear to be a good thing. Changing your company to respond to this and not getting products out the door. Earlier this year, a group of designers quit Rockstar's Edinburgh office, telling colleagues they were sick of the lack of progress. And from all accounts, who could blame them? Who wants to work in an environment where they just keep putting producers in the middle of things in order to alleviate concerns over crunch and nothing happens for a long period of times? But that does leave you with folks abandoning ship and other folks choosing to stay that maybe are not the ones that you want to. Many others, tell Jason Schreier, however, say they're con content to work at a company where there's little pressure to get a new game out the door. I think we're all familiar with this kind of worker, right? Oh yeah, it's totally nice. We'll draw some art. Maybe we'll code some stuff. No big deal whether we ever get a game out. 
And what you can see, at least in this description of events from Bloomberg and Mr. Schreier, is a company that is being drained of the folks in Edinburgh who would otherwise like to make a game and is starting to become concentrated in people that are content to work at a company where there's little pressure to get a new game out the door. You combine that with the notions of how can you even satirize America and we don't want to punch down and what should this game even be and we're going to take all these other steps and you wind up in a situation where all Bloomberg can really say, quoting one of the employees here is, we think this is a better environment for working on games. And then Jason Schreier's final editorial, presumably the people playing them too, that it's a better environment for the people playing the games. And to that, I can only say, objection, that's not in evidence at all. What we've got instead is an article that should put the fear of God in investors and people that are actually interested in this product making it to fruition based, at least in this author's view, on the impetus being their own article asking them to effectively change everything about the way they operate. So to reflect once again on what I said earlier, the one thing I would caution anybody operating in any industry is that you should not take the opinions of, hell, YouTube pundits or Bloomberg pundits or Jason Schreier or Richard Hogue or anyone else in determining how you run your company. You have to find a way that works for you. And if you just decide to react to situations like the one presented by Kotaku in the fall of 2018, well, don't be surprised when the original impetus behind causing that reaction isn't so nice about the decisions you chose to make in its wake. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy conversations about the business of law, technology, uh, video games, music, movies, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We can't do it without subscriber support from folks like you. We've got a Utreon where more of the resources get to us. We've got a Patreon. If you're more familiar with that platform, you can become a YouTube member. Or if none of that sounds good, just subscribe. Tell your friends. Ring bells. Engage. Leave comments. Tell me how wrong I am about Rockstar's satirical approach to story writing in Grand Theft Auto V, Red Dead Redemption 2, whatever floats your boat there. I know a lot of you like it a lot more than I do. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.